Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here. My name is Erin Broich. I am the Director of Ministry and Service here at Mount Mercy University. Uh, before I introduce our incredible speaker, I'd like to offer a prayer to get us started. So I invite you all to bow your heads. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Merciful God, we give thanks for this opportunity to gather together in witness to your unceasing love and endless glory. We give thanks for Noel and ask that you bless her and be with her as she shares her extraordinary story with us. Open our hearts to her words and to your grace, that we might be assured of your presence in our day-to-day -day lives, just as Noel is. You are our rock, our light in the darkness, our calm within the storm. Let us never forget that we are never without you, and that we need only open ourselves to you, and your word, and your call to follow you. As Noel shares her story, help us see all the ways in which you touch our lives and reach out your hand to us every single day. We ask all this in your holy name, creator, word, and spirit. Amen. Amen. Now it is my great pleasure to introduce our CEO speaker tonight, Noelle Reese. When you initially meet Noelle, the first thing that might strike you about her is her infectious smile and warm presence. The next thing that will probably strike you is her firm handshake. I met Noelle in her freshman year here at Mount Mercy and realized quickly that she was a force to be reckoned with. Intelligent, hardworking, driven, and more organized than I could ever hope to be, it became obvious that she was someone you wanted around because she made things happen. However, apart from all those incredible qualities, what stood out to me as I got to know Noelle was her strong faith and her eagerness to explore it. Noelle likes to ask questions. She's not satisfied with taking things at face value. She wants to know the why and the how and gain a deeper understanding of what it means to be a faithful Catholic. As she will tell you in her talk, this desire to learn more and grow in her faith is what drew her to Mount Mercy. It's the reason she added a religious studies minor to her sports management and accounting majors. Noelle's faith is rooted in her curiosity, but it is never a question of believing in God, but a soul-deep desire to better understand God's work in her life and the world. She has brought this faithful curiosity into her work as a residential peer minister, as well as her interactions with friends, family, and professors. It has been a blessing for me to work with Noelle and see her grow and thrive in her faith. And we are all blessed to have the opportunity tonight to hear her extraordinary story of faith. Please join me now in welcoming Noelle. Noelle, who are you? Well, I'm a daughter, I'm a granddaughter, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, I'm a Catholic, I'm a sports lover, I'm a runner, I'm a peer minister. All of those things, they keep me very, very busy. If you'd have asked me that question a year ago, that's how I would have responded. But if you ask me that question now, I would respond that first and foremost, I am a daughter of God. Throughout my entire life, God has slowly been showing me that I am His, that I belong to Him, and that I need Him. So I want to share with you tonight the different ways in which God led me to where I am today, starting with how I got up here. So when I was first asked to share my story, I thought, y'all are crazy. I don't even have a story. I'm just this ordinary Catholic girl who goes to Mass every Sunday and occasionally during the week when I need it. 
but you do not have to have this big grand story to be able to share what God has done with, with your life. I want to share a quote from this book, and I'm going to talk more about this book later. It goes better a little bit later in my story. But I'm going to share a quote um, first and foremost here. My conversion story is that I do not have one. Has my journey been perfect? No, certainly not. But I do not have a dramatic story of finding my faith or coming back to my faith. However, the fact that I do not have the kind of conversion story that people would consider engaging and exciting does not mean I do not have an important testimony to share with the people I encounter. God sees everyone, and he sees everyone through their struggles. So my journey, it's pretty simple. I was born and raised a Catholic in small town, rural Illinois. Some Sunday mornings, I would fight my mom to go to church to get out of bed. I didn't want to get up and go. My brothers and I, we would be rewarded for being good in church by getting donuts at our local grocery store after church. You laugh, but don't tell me that you've never rewarded yourself or been rewarded for getting your butt out of bed in the morning to go to church. <laughs> uh, I went to Sunday school, then confirmation class. But looking back now, I realize that even at such a young age, God was already helping me through struggles that I was, that I was going through. I was going through these struggles at a young age, and God, he would help me through them. So ever since I can remember, I've been a worrier and I've been a perfectionist. One of my earliest memories of this is in kindergarten. You know, I had just gotten a card change and that was kind of like our punishment or our reward system. So you started on green for the day and then if you did something wrong, you went to yellow and if you did something naughty again, you went to red. Um, I had just gotten a card change and I started bawling on the floor of my kindergarten classroom because I had just made a mistake. I made a mistake, I got a card change, and I started bawling. And then in fourth grade, my teacher told me that I didn't turn in a spelling worksheet. And I swore I turned it in, but she couldn't find it. So she let me look through all the papers that had been turned in for the day, and I couldn't find it, so she said, you didn't turn it in, I have to punish you. And our reward system at the time was tickets, so I got a ticket taken away. Once again, in fourth grade, I started bawling because I had just made a mistake. I had just lost a ticket. <laughs> then in high school, we were taking our Algebra II final, and you know, it's final seasons around here. Um, so we had a couple class periods to work on our final, and we still weren't finished with it, so we were able to come back during study halls or during other free times during the week that we had to finish it up. So I kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back and finally at the very last minute I turned it in and after I turned it in I went back and I calculated up how much time I had spent taking that final. I spent eight hours taking that final. I spent an entire work day working on a test just so that I can try to make it as perfect as I possibly could. Also in high school, English class, we were assigned to read a couple chapters of Huckleberry Finn for the next day of class or whatever. So I read the chapters the night before and we got to class and we had a pop quiz, just like a half sheet, you know, a couple questions. And I wasn't able to answer the questions. I didn't know the answers. No, I read the chapters because if I didn't read the chapters, I would just tell you I didn't read the chapters. No, I read the chapters. 
But once again, I wasn't able to answer those couple questions, so I started crying my sophomore year of high school in class over a couple silly points on a pop quiz, you know? In high school, I had this goal of having a 4.0 GPA every quarter. So 4.0 GPA, that's perfect. You can't get any better than that, really. And not just every semester or every year or even just throughout my entire high school career. No, every quarter I had to have a 4.0 GPA. So I get myself into these states. I get myself so worked up, so worried about being perfect, you know, or just about different things in my life. And I kind of call this, describe this as being on a ledge. So I'm standing on this ledge, I've got myself so worked up. And when I'm standing on this ledge, I, if I continue to worry and get worked up, I fall off the ledge. And to me, that looks like what I've just described to you. I start crying, I go into complete hysteria, I can't function, I'm just a mess. But also when I'm on this ledge, I have the, I have the choice to just turn and completely walk away from whatever I'm worrying about. Now that's really, really hard to do. So my best option a lot of times when I'm on this ledge is to just take a step back and re-examine my worry, re-examine what I'm worrying about. But when I'm here, I need somebody to do that for me. I need somebody to talk me off the ledge, to take a step back. And a lot of times that person has been my mom. She's known me my entire life. Um, she's gotten really good at talking me off of these ledges. She knows exactly what to say. I think now she could probably do it with her eyes closed. She's gotten so good at talking me off of these ledges. So one day my mom said to me, Noel, to worry is to not trust in the Lord's plan for you. To worry is to not trust in the Lord's plan for you. Now, it didn't stick right away. She kept saying it to me over and over and over again. And it slowly started to work in my heart and in my mind. And I slowly started to grasp on that I couldn't worry because that means that I don't trust in what God has planned for me. And with that, I had to learn to let things go. I had to worry to, you know, all these perfect ideas in my head, I had to learn to let them go. Um, just a funny tidbit here. In our house, we have this saying, and it's from the sitcom Reba, starring Reba McIntyre. We watched it all the time as a family, as kids. Um, but one of the main characters, Van, he's kind of like the dumb jock of the show. He turns and he says to Reba, Reba, I got one word for you. Let it go. And he runs it all together to try to make it one word. So when somebody's starting to get worked up in our family, when somebody's you know, starting to worry about something, we just say to each other, let it go. And it just gets you to smile, gets you to laugh and think about a good, happy time. Also, when I would start worrying and trying to be so perfect, I would think that my family wouldn't love me, that they wouldn't be proud of me if I wasn't perfect, that I had to be perfect to earn my family's love, for them to be proud of me. So one day my mom finally said to me, Noel, I will still love you if you get an a B or an A minus on this test. And I realized that my family, my friends, even God, they're gonna love me no matter what. I don't have to be perfect to earn their love. Trust me, I still struggle with perfectionism. I still struggle with worrying. 
Um, I've made some huge strides, but it's still present in my life. Just last year, I found myself on the floor of my dorm room, bawling hysterically again on the phone to my mom over a paper that I was trying to write. Also at college, I've learned to be okay with an A minus or even a B. In high school, I wasn't okay with that, but here I've learned that as long as I'm giving 100%, as long as I'm giving all that I've got, that's all that anybody's ever gonna ask of me. That's all my family, that's all my friends, that's all God is ever gonna ask of me, is that I am giving everything that I've got. One day I was really worrying over a test and one of my friends said to me, Noelle, is this test even gonna matter in five years? And I thought about it for a minute and I'm like, I'm not gonna be worrying about this test in five years. Why am I spending more than five minutes worrying about it? Also, this semester, two times, I've had a week where I've had three exams in one week. Now let me tell you, having one exam in a week is pretty difficult. It's hard, you know, you still got sports, you still got work and all your other classes to try to keep up with while you're trying to study for an exam. So having three in a week sometimes seems humanly impossible. Um, so when I, when I have those weeks, I really had to learn to forgive myself and accept God's grace because I didn't have the time to study for three exams and get a perfect score on all the exams. I just didn't have the time for it. Now, obviously, some worrying is good. I'm not saying don't ever worry about anything. Worrying means that you care. If you're worrying about someone or something, it means that you care about them. I'm reminded that Mary and Joseph worried about Jesus, too. In Luke chapter 2, um, a young Jesus goes missing for a few days, and when Mary finally sees him, she says to him, your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. And to me that says that Mary and Joseph, they were worried about Jesus, where he was. So faith has always been a part of my life. It's always helped me through tough times. But I think with this, receiving the sacrament of confirmation was really a big push for me. So in confirmation class is where I really started to realize that I had a lot of questions about my faith and more specifically about the Catholic faith. I wanted to know why the church taught what it did. I wanted to know the reasons. So after I was confirmed, I decided that I wanted to go to a Catholic university where I could ask those questions and hopefully have them answered. I wanted to be able to grow in my faith with God as well. So that is what led me here to Mount Mercy, along with the fact that coming from such a small town, I did want a small university where I would know everyone on campus. And I did want to go just a little bit farther away from home to kind of push, push myself a little bit, push myself out of my comfort zone. So now that I'm here and I can kind of look back at confirmation, I think that having those questions probably stemmed from the fact that I was a worrier and that I was a perfectionist. You know, I wanted to know that I had the perfect faith, that I had all the perfect answers to all the questions. Um, so at Mount Mercy, almost immediately as soon as I got here, I made a friend with my same faith. 
Um, her name is Casey. She gave her CEO talk up here last year. Um, her friendship was such a blessing to me. I, it made me realize that I wasn't alone, that I wasn't the only young person who was in the Catholic Church, who had questions, who was always striving to know more, to know God better. She started to kind of push me and almost drag me to different faith-related events um, around campus and in the community. As we got to know each other, we realized that we were destined to be sisters. So Casey and I, we were actually born on the exact same day. August 12th, 1997. We were born miles apart. She was born in Missouri, I was born in Dubuque. But somehow, this wonderful God brought us both here to Mount Mercy so that we could be sisters in Christ together here. In case you're wondering, she is an hour older, but that doesn't really matter. <laughs> also here at Mount Mercy, through the, through the help of professors, I've been able to ask my questions and to get those questions answered. Um, so just over a year ago, I added a religion minor to have the opportunity to you know, take more classes, to know more, to soak up everything that I could while I was here. Now, I rave about those professors, but one of those professors was the one who had me on the floor of my dorm room crying over a paper that I was trying to write. <laughs> um, I also made other friends here at Mount Mercy um, with my same faith who were Christian, who wanted to know God and live a Christian life. And again, that's just such a blessing to know that you're not alone. The mission and ministry department here has also been a huge um, boost in my faith. So being a residential peer minister here for the past couple years, I've been able to share my faith with others, but also let others help me in my faith too. Let them teach me um, about God. And then Erin is our campus minister here, like she said. So she's kind of my boss. I got to check in with her and stuff. And she's been really wonderful too. She's always there for me if I need to talk about something. Um, she gives some really great advice, some just practical advice when you're struggling with something. Uh, so she's kind of been a blessing too here on campus. So at school, I was learning theology. I am learning theology. I was learning reasons why the Catholic Church believes what it believes. And I really came to believe that the Catholic faith is the one true faith. You know, growing up I was Catholic because that's how I was raised. You know, my whole family was Catholic. But here my mindset was able to change. And I really accepted the faith for what it, for what it is, for what it teaches. I now choose to be Catholic because I believe it is what is right. So I, I brought my newfound faith back home when I would go back home to visit at holidays and stuff. My mom and I, we would get talking about different stuff, discussing different things. We would get into some debates. Sometimes they'd get kind of heated. We would make, start arguing over different things. One day I finally said to her though, Mom, why are you Catholic? And she said to me, well, I was raised that way. I was raised in the church. That's why I'm Catholic. And I said to her, Mom, I'm not sure that is enough. I think you really have to accept and choose your faith. You know, to me, the Catholic faith is something that you, you have to continually keep learning. You have to love it. You have to live it. 
And for, for me, I think that you really do have to choose, choose to be Catholic. So a few months later, my mom went to a speaking event, a faith-based speaking event back home with some of her family and friends. And after the talk on the car ride home, they were all kind of discussing what they got out of the talk, you know, what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, and somebody turned to my mom and said, Debbie, how is your faith so strong? Why is your faith so strong? And you know, these people have known my mom their entire lives, so for them to turn and ask her that was kind of strange. But she started crying and she said that it was me, that I was the reason her faith was so strong, that I was the reason she knew so much. When she told me that story, I realized that I can make a difference. I am making a difference in her life. I can make a difference in you know, my other family's lives. For just the people that I meet, I can make a difference in their lives. Just by wanting to learn and to learning about faith and having a relationship with God, I'm able to help others around me. But through all this, because I was becoming so strong in my faith, God, he started to reveal my insecurities and some other struggles to me. He wanted me to become a better person. He was revealing to me these things that I didn't even know. So in January of my freshman year, I'm pretty sure Casey dragged me to this event, if I remember right, but we went to the Catholic Women's Conference here in town. And one of the speakers there, her name was Leah Darrow. So for those of you that, that don't know who Leah Darrow is, she was a contestant on America's Next Top Model. Um, so she was in the modeling industry and in the modeling business for many years. And now she chooses to kind of travel, share her story, but also share some of the lies and the fake things that society and that media puts out now. So Leah's, Leah's up there talking about things that the media says that are lies, things that society is telling you that are just lies and aren't the truth, they're not what God wants you to believe. But I was realizing that the things she was telling me were lies, I thought were true. I was believing them. You know, I thought I should be looking like these models on the runway or models on magazines' covers. One story that Leah shares that really stuck with me is that she was in a magazine, and like any proud grandma would do, her grandma went out and bought the magazine that she was in. Well, the next time that Leah saw her grandma, her grandma pulls up the magazine and says, Leah, whose body is this? This isn't your body. This might be your face and your hair, but this isn't your body. And that really got me. If, if Leah's grandma can't even recognize that it's her body, why should I be trying to look like this fake body in a magazine? Why should I be striving to look like that? So God revealed this to me, even though I didn't know that I needed to hear this. He was, he was speaking to me through Leah. After that, though, I realized that, you know, believing these lies and, you know, my body image was something that I had really struggled with for almost as long as I can remember. I was just now realizing it, though. I would stand in the mirror and look at myself and say things like, wow, I really wish I could just lose a few more pounds here or just a little bit here or 
man, if I could just lose a couple pounds, I really would be happier with myself. I would say things like, okay, I'll eat this dessert now, I'll eat this cake, I'll eat this cookie later, but then I can't eat anything the rest of the day. I can't eat dinner tonight then. I was constantly thinking, what do others think of me? Oh, that girl, she thinks my thighs are way too big. Oh, that girl, she thinks my hair is just hideous. That girl, she thinks that I'm super mean. I would want things that other girls had. I want that girl's arms, she's so toned. That girl's legs, they're perfect, I just want them. That girl's hair, it's so shiny, why can't mine just be like that? That girl, she's so sweet, she's so nice, she's popular, she's cool, why can't I just be her? One of the things that I was most insecure about was my stomach. I would constantly think, why can't I get a flat stomach after doing 100 sit-ups on the ground every night? All those models in the magazines, everybody, they always just have such a flat, perfect stomach. Why can't, I, my, why can't my stomach just look like that? One day I was thinking back to my high school anatomy class and I remembered learning that God made the female anatomy have extra layers of fat on their stomach to protect their uterus. And to me, I was, I was seeing my stomach as such a negative thing, as such a negative thing. But when I turned and saw it through the eyes of God, I was able to see it as a positive thing. You know, God gave me a little extra fat on my stomach because he wants me to bring life into this world. He gave me the opportunity to bring life into this world. And it got me thinking, what else is the devil, you know, hiding in my life as a negative, you know, putting in my mind as a negative thing, when if I would just turn and look through it through the eyes of God, I could see it as a positive thing. So these are all lies that I would just have in my brain all the time telling myself. Lies from Satan that were just constantly in my brain. I would encourage you to reflect on things in your life that maybe the devil, that Satan is, is hiding as a negative thing. And if you just turn and see it through God's eyes, that you'll see it as a positive thing. So, you know, after the talk with Leah, I realized that I had, I had to change something, you know? Something needed to change. I needed to start working um, to change my mindset from all these negative thoughts. And I did, I worked on it for a while, and running really helped me. I really became aware of the power and the strength of my body when I trained for and I ran my first 10K. Um, it was the summer after my freshman year, before my sophomore year, and you know, when I finished, I just thought, man, I just ran 6.2 miles just because I told myself to. Just, my body did that for me just because I wanted it to. It was hard, my body hurt, but man, my body is so powerful that it can just do that for me. And then in the spring of my sophomore year, I sat in this space here in the chapel here, right over here, actually, to be exact, for a talk called You Are Enough. And the talk was you know, supposed to be about body image and helping you to see yourself how God sees you, not how media sees you or society sees you. 
So before the talk, I was sitting here in the chapel with Casey, and at that point, it had been over a year since I heard Leah's talk. And at that point, I just remember thinking, I don't know what else to do. I'm trying, but I'm just lost. It's hard. I don't know what else to do. So sitting here in the chapel, I started telling Casey all of the lies that I tell myself, all of these just awful things, and just talking to her about, about everything. And I started crying, and I just lost it, because this had been a struggle for so long. And in that moment, sitting with Casey, she did the best thing that she possibly could have done for me. She took my hands right then and there, and she started praying for me. She started asking Jesus Christ and asking God to help me through my struggles. When she did that, I realized that I'm not going to get through this struggle by myself. I need Christ. I need God to help me through this. So that talk that night, it was really fun. It was a really great talk. It gave me some really good tips to um, see myself through the eyes of God. But remember, I'm a perfectionist. So when somebody's trying to tell me that you are enough, I don't believe them. Because perfect is, is the only thing that's enough for me. So I kind of left that night just kind of feeling unfulfilled. Until like really recently when a friend shared some of her sister's writing and her sister struggled with an eating disorder and shares it on a blog. Her sister wrote, the world will tell you you are enough, but he will tell you he is enough. God will tell you that God is enough. And I realized that I don't have to be enough because God is enough. I, felt, I just felt so fulfilled with, with reading that. It also reminded me that because God is enough, I can give myself forgiveness. I can accept God's grace and you know, apply that to myself. So then at the end of my sophomore year, moving along here on my timeline, um, my friend Molly and I, we had really been talking about, we were getting so excited about this book that was being released. We followed this girl, Emily Wilson, on social media, and she was so cool, we loved her. Um, we couldn't wait to go out and buy her book and get it. Uh, but Molly, before she graduated, before she went back to California, she gifted me with the book. What a sweet gift. So before she graduated and left, she gave me a gift. So this book is called Go Bravely by Emily Wilson. Um, it'd be a great Christmas gift for any young lady in your life if you're still searching for that perfect Christmas gift. Um, so I read this the, the first time uh, this last summer, um, and it changed my life. Now, sometimes I want to share this book with friends. I go up to them and I say, hey, read this book. It really changed my life. That's kind of intimidating for them. So I realized that I probably shouldn't say that. Um, but it, I fell in love with this book, and I, I really loved it. I, I think I lost count. I think I read it like three or four times already, just on, in under a year. Um, but God, he knew all of the things that I needed to hear, all the lies that I've been, I had been telling myself. And he let Emily write all of, those, all of those truths that I needed to hear in this book. I just keep thinking, how great is our God that he spoke through Emily, through this book, right to my heart, right to me. So I'm going to be sharing more quotes and stuff from this book a little bit later. 
So also this last summer, I spent the entire summer with one of my best friends, Tessa. And when I say the entire summer, I really mean the entire summer. We worked together every day, eight hours a day. And then most days after work, we would go golfing for a couple hours or we'd go to a baseball game or something. Like we spent the entire summer together. But she reminded me to speak truth to myself. So when she would see me start to get in my head, start thinking negative thoughts, you know, that kind of stuff, she would remind me, no, well, those are lies. Fill it with truth. And even better, when she would start to see my mind going like that, she would speak truth to me. She would quote scripture to me. Or if I would say something, she would be like, no, that's wrong. That's, that's a lie. That was such a blessing. And after spending the entire summer with her, I was able to do that for myself. So now when I catch myself starting to spiral of lies, I'm able to stop and replace it with, with the truth of what I know. Okay, so after this, I, all summer I trained to run a half marathon. So then Labor Day weekend this last year I ran a half marathon. And again, running really helps me just know and feel the power and strength of my body. But this time, through the process of running, I learned to take care of my body. I learned that my body is a gift, that I only get one. You know, I needed to take care of it. I needed to feed it good nutrients. I needed to be kind to it. So after I ran my half marathon, my body was really hurting. I just pushed it through a long summer of training, and I knew I needed time off. So I, I gave my body the time off that it needed. I was kind to it. It was hard. I wanted to run. But I knew, it, I knew that I needed to be kind to it. And with the, the feeding it good nutrients, when you're trying to you know, train and run long distances several times a week, and you're feeding your body crap, or you're not taking care of it, it doesn't like that. <laughs> Trust me, it's hard. It, it does not like that. So I learned very quickly that I had to be nice to it. I also realized that God gave me this body for a reason. God made my body, and anything that God makes is perfect. So my body must be perfect. He wants me to have this one, this body. So through all of this, I was trying to learn to love my body, but I was also trying to learn to love myself, to love who I am, my personality, who I was. Um, okay, I have a quote here to share with you. Emily, she just always reminds me of some truth that I need to hear. For many women, it is a great challenge to think of one or two things they love about themselves. This poses a great obstacle to reflecting the love of Christ, because it is hard to love others in the way God calls us to, selflessly and wholeheartedly, if we do not first learn to love ourselves, flaws and all. Learning to love who we are, whether it is in our personality or our appearance, can be a long and difficult journey. But it is a journey Christ wants to accompany us on so that we can see ourselves the way he does. Christ wants you to love yourself in a healthy, beautiful way. So one thing that led me to be so insecure about who I was and my personality 
was that I felt the pressure of society telling me that I had to be one or the other. So I kind of call these my, my two boxes here, okay? And I just felt like I had to be in one box or the other. So this box over here, we have like the total girly girl, okay? Loves to get her hair done, her nails done, loves fashion, loves romance, makeup, boys, drama, could care less about the outdoors and country and sports, you know, whatever, could just care less about that. And over here we have the tomboy who could care less about how she looks, her makeup, you know, whatever, loves sports, loves being outdoors, doesn't mind getting a little muddy, you know, rough, rough, kind of rough and tough over here. And I'm, I'm, I just can't be, I'm just not either one of those completely. You know, at age 10, my parents started making me mow the lawn. And not like sit on a tractor, you know, nicely and drive around and mow the lawn. No, we push mowed our lawn. We lived in town. We lived on a really big hill. We had a really big yard. And it would take us almost two hours to mow our, to push mow our lawn. And over the years, I've learned to just love lawn mowing, just loving being outside, you know, being active outside. Also, around age five, my dad started taking me to Badger basketball games. Um, and I, I love sports, and anybody who knows me will tell you that during basketball season, all I want to talk about is Badger basketball, okay? I live, I breathe Badger basketball in, during the winter, during basketball season. So I, I love sports. I also, for three summers, I worked in landscaping, and I just absolutely loved it. I loved being outside, you know, pruning, mulching, mowing, you know, weeding, planting flowers. I loved every bit of it. But yet I love romance. I love doing my hair and getting my nails done. I love Hallmark movies. I love Nicholas Sparks books, you know? I, I love that. And I also love fashion. I'm going to kind of go on a side note here about fashion for a second, so bear with me. As a Catholic, as a Christian, sometimes I feel like I'm judged and that people try to tell me that I can't love fashion, that I can't value my clothes, that I can't, you know, value my hair or shoes or something like that. But I, again, Emily reminds me that I can, I can, you know, like fashion, and I can enjoy that. Um, sorry, wrong one, one more. Over here. Okay. So Emily says that the Spirit of God lives within you and me. We are called to keep this in mind always in everything we do. However, this does not mean that you have to cut out armholes in a burlap bag and never wear anything beautiful ever again. Because, well, Burlap bags are itchy. <laughs> what this means is that we can reflect that God dwells within us in a way we clothe ourselves. We can outwardly display that we are inherently valuable and possess great dignity. We can outwardly reflect in the way we dress that we know who we are, daughters of God. So I realized that in the way that I dress, in the way that I carry myself, in the way that I present myself, I can show my beauty. I can show God's beauty. I can project the love of God, the grace of God, in the way that I dress, in the way that I look. And that's why I love fashion. That's why I'm allowed to love fashion. Okay, so coming back to my, to my boxes here, okay? 
you know, I said, love sports, love Hallmark movies. Actually, most Sundays in the fall, you'll find me in the afternoon sitting on my couch, watching the football game, you know, whatever. But I'm also flipping to a Hallmark movie um, during the commercials or at halftime. Or, you know, I'll watch the noon game and then I'll watch a Hallmark movie afterwards, you know, for my rest for the day. You're not going to find many girls that are doing that here on a Sunday afternoon. That's what makes me so unique. So I realized that I can be both. I don't have to be put in a box because society is, t is trying to tell me to. God made me different and he made me unique. Okay, one last quote from Emily. The beauty of God's creation is that not a single human being has been repeated. This incredible reality means that you, were, you weren't meant to look like the girls from your school, on your Instagram feed, in your friend group, or on magazine covers. You were meant to look like you. Your body is a beautiful creation. You are unrepeatable. There is no one in the world who will ever be you. On top of that, you come from a completely unique ancestral line with a heritage that is different from that of the women sitting to your right or your left. That is what the cookie cutter concept forgets. That is what my boxes forget. Okay, so I, I have this little saying thing that I do. So like Dirty Dancing, you know, don't put baby in the corner, you know, whatever. I say, you can't put Noelle in a box, okay? I just don't fit in either box. So all of this, you know, body image, trying to love my body, love myself, I still struggle. It's not something that has just been completely removed from my life. I don't think it ever will be. I think I will continue to have part of this struggle in my life every day. But what matters is that I continue to grow every day. I continue to grow closer to God. I continue to grow with the help of God every single day, and I give, I give my all to that. So as you can see, I'm not just an ordinary girl from the middle of nowhere. God is what makes me extraordinary. Because I have God, I can do extraordinary things. I'm reminded also that you know, from about age 12 to about age 30, we really don't know much about Jesus and his life. You know, there's no record of him performing some big miracle or preaching. So supposedly, we can kind of assume that Jesus was living an ordinary life. We, we, we don't know what, what he was doing. So hopefully by hearing my story tonight, you can realize and reflect on the fact that you, you don't have an ordinary life. God makes it extraordinary. He has done extraordinary things in your life. He is doing extraordinary things to life in your life. And he will continue to perform extraordinary deeds in your life. So please remember that you are more than ordinary. Thank you all so much for coming tonight. Um, it really means a lot to me to see familiar faces and different faces in the, in the audience tonight. Um, I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas um, as, you, as you leave tonight. So thank you very much.